You're listening to Keeping Connected with the Quran, a series that reminds us of the many beautiful ways the Quran can be a guide, a teacher, and a healer in our lives. Join a rotating cast of insightful hosts and guests featured throughout the week and make the Quran a companion in your day, every day. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وأصحابه ومولاه رب الشرح لصدري ويسلي أمره وحد لقطة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا ذاب النار السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته uh, This is your brother Ali Janmer coming uh, with you uh, coming to you with uh, Sheikh Ibrahim and our uh, series the weekly series the last episode of the Quranic themes, we were exploring the themes found in the Hawamim or Alu Hamim, the surahs called Hawamim or uh, the family of Hamims. These surahs uh, are in the Quran. We find them in the 24th juz to the 26th juz of the Quran. That's where we find uh, them all in, uh, you know, all back to back, starting with surah number 40, surah Ghafir, ending with Surah number 46, Surah Ahqaf. Uh, these uh, surahs, these uh, seven surahs, uh, all begin with the letters Hamim, and thus they are called Hawamim or Alu Hamim. Uh, this is uh, what, we, what we discussed in the beginning of the series, and as in the previous episodes, we were trying to show how there is a constant, uh, that there are some... Uh, Themes that run constantly throughout these surahs, uh, themes such as um, uh, talking about the glory of the Quran and how the Quran uh, is is a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, how the the surahs were in Meccan era uh, Quran in, in the idea that it is in the time of the Prophet's life when he was in Mecca, calling people to Islam uh, who were not willing listeners and who perhaps uh, you know wanted to marginalize the Muslims and the da'wah. In fact, they were in the process of doing so. So we sh- were wanted to highlight how the Hawamim speaks to that audience, a audience that is perhaps hostile. We also uh, observed themes such as uh, the uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explaining why the Prophet is the true Prophet of Allah and why Allah chose him to be the Prophet uh, and that was his choice. Uh, Musa alayhi salam is referenced in these surahs very, very frequently because he is one that uh, there's a lot of parallels in his life uh, for us as believers to uh, navigate the difficulties of our life uh, and so on and so forth. So we were some, I'm just summarizing in the very beginning here of all those different themes. We'll continue with these uh, same themes today in the last three of the Hawamim, the last three surahs of the Hamim series. Uh, which is uh, Al-Dukhan, Surah 44, Al-Jathiyah, Surah number 45, and Al-Ahqaf, Surah number 46. Okay, And we'll be looking primarily again at uh, what we call the da'wah of the marginalized, the da'wah of the underprivileged, uh, or the da'wah of the person who is doesn't enjoy leverage in the negotiation of inviting somebody to Islam. How is that done? What are the... Uh, what are the beautiful aspects? Uh, what are what are the beautiful uh, characteristics of the Prophet's character 
and the character of the da'i that the Quran teaches us. We learn that, inshallah. How do you talk to somebody who isn't a willing listener? We'll learn about that, inshallah. And and uh, many other things, inshallah. I'll turn it over to Sheikh Ibrahim uh, after this long introduction uh, to talk us through Ad-Dukhan and Al-Jathiyah, Surah 45, uh, Surah 44 and Surah 45. so inshallah we're going to begin as Sheikh Arij said with the two surah surah al-dukhan and surah al-jathiyah surah al-dukhan and of course we're going to talk about the themes in each surah and how they connect uh, hopefully to the broader themes that are mentioned in al-hawamim so surah al-dukhan al-dukhan of course means the smoke and uh, there is some discussion about why this surah is called uh, the surah of Ad-Dukhan of the smoke. Uh, there's a couple of incidents, uh, or one incident really that comes into question, which is that uh, the Prophet wasallam, when Quraysh began to boycott the Muslims and Banu Hashim, and they cut them off of selling them food and water and doing business with them and marrying with them. It was a social and economic boycott in order to force either the Prophet ﷺ to stop preaching or to force Banu Hashim to agree that um, Quraysh could kill or deal with the Prophet ﷺ as they saw fit. And so during this time, the Prophet ﷺ made a dua. He said, Oh Allah, make their years as difficult as the years of Yusuf. Oh Allah, make their years as difficult as the years of Yusuf. Now what are the years of Yusuf? It is the years of famine. In Surah Yusuf, in the story of Yusuf, he, through interpreting the dream, interprets and uh, predicts a famine, a great famine that will come to the people of Egypt. So the Prophet makes the dua, allow there to be a famine on Quraysh, just as there was a famine in the time of Yusuf And what happened was that they were struck, stricken with so much difficulty and famine and fatigue, so much so that the people of Quraysh were eating bones out of the fact that they didn't have any food left to eat, the animals had died off, they would even eat the bones. And they said that sometimes the people would look up into the sky and they would imagine seeing smoke from the extent of their fatigue, from the extent of the pain that they were feeling out of not having food themselves, that they would see smoke around them in the air. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they say, uh, that Allah then revealed Then watch for the day where the sky will bring A visible great smoke This smoke will cover the people And this will be a great punishment and so this was revealed in this circumstance where these people out of their fatigue were imagining smoke. And it was said that Abu Sufyan then came to the Prophet ﷺ and he asked the Prophet to make dua uh, for Allah to send rain on the people of Mudar, which was a different tribe that was also being struck with famine. So Quraysh, even though the, the famine began because they rejected the Prophet, they end up going to the Prophet, asking the Prophet to make dua for there to be rain, at least on their neighbors. And so the Prophet said to him, you are a brave man. I.e. you're coming and recognizing that I need to make dua for this famine to be re uh, removed. And then, the pro and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this circumstance revealed the verse, We are going to remove the punishment for a little bit. Indeed, you will return back to your sins. And the Prophet made dua and indeed the famine ended and rain began 
to poor. And then uh, after this happened, what did Quraysh do? They went back to their oppression against the Muslims. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, That the day where we will strike the greatest assault, this is indeed the day of retribution. And so scholars, they say the smoke that Allah is referring to in this chapter is a smoke that will come later. A smoke that will be one of the great signs before the Day of Judgment as is mentioned in the Hadith of Bukhari. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making a similarity between the smoke that was experienced by Quraysh and between the greater smoke that will be uh, one of the signs of the Day of Judgment. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks in the surah about the way that the disbelievers rejected Islam and how Quraysh rejected the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this surah. So one theme that arises is the concept of la'ab, of play, of amusement, of taking this life as an amusement because this was a method by how they rejected Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the disbelievers in their state, they are in doubt, يلعبون, amusing themselves. They are playing, they are taking their life like it is an amusement. They are not taking it seriously. They are not thinking about the consequences of their deeds and of their actions, of them standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are just spending their life heedlessness in entertainment. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says later on, to that, that's verse number 9. They are in doubt and in play, in playing, amusing themselves. Then in verse 38, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا we did not create the heavens and the earth and all that is between them playing. It is not in jest, it is not out of amusement that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and the earth. We were created for a purpose, for a reason. There's a reason Allah created us and it's not to play and to amuse ourselves and to entertain ourselves. Then later on in the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the punishment on the day of judgment. Sorry, the punishment of the hellfire. He says, Seize him and drag him to the hellfire. Then pour upon his head the torment of scalding water. It will be said to the person on the day on, in the hellfire, taste, indeed you are the honored, you are the noble. So the angels of punishment are being sarcastic to the people who are in the hellfire. This is indeed what you used to doubt. So Allah begins by saying, they doubt and they are playing. And they spend their lives in playing. And then he says, we didn't create this world, this heavens and the earth and all that's between it for you to play. We've created it because of truth. We created them out of truth. And then he comes and he says, and the disbelievers are going to be punished. And punished with sarcasm. As if the angels of punishment are doing what? Are playing with them. And this is a powerful theme in this surah. The concept of play and entertainment. The angels end up uh, you know, playing with, with the people of hellfire as they punish them out of, uh, you know, as, as if they are entertainment and amusement for the angels of punishment. Also a theme in the surah is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can change our circumstances. The Muslims are weak, they are poor, they are oppressed, the disbelievers are wealthy, they have status, they have strength. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كَمْ تَرَكُوا مِنْ جَنَّاتٍ وَعْيُونَ 
وَمَقَامٍ He asks rhetorically, how much did they leave behind of gardens and springs? وَنِعْمَةٍ كَانُوا فِيهَا فَاكِهِينَ And comfort in, in it that they were in, in crops and noble sites and comfort wherein they were amused. كَذَلِكَ أَوْرَثْنَاهَا قَوْمًا آخَرِينَ And then we gave it to another people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these verses is talking about something. He's talking about the people of Egypt who disbelieved in Allah, Fir'aun, and how they had jannat and wa'ayun, they had gardens and springs and crops and great sites and they were amused in all that they had. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كَذَلِكَ أَوْرَثْنَاهَا قَوْمًا آخَرِينَ But we gave it to other people. Allah destroyed Fir'aun and then Bani Israel ended up becoming you know, the kingdom. They ended up becoming the ones of riches and power and etc, etc. So Allah is reminding the believers, remember, the Muslims in the past, the believers in the past were, were, were weak and poor and oppressed and Allah gave them strength. And the disbelievers were wealthy and had status and had strength and Allah caused their destruction. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَمَا بَكَتَ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّمَاءُ وَالْأَرْضُ وَمَا كَانُوا مُنْظَرِينَ That the heavens and the earth did not weep for them, nor were they reprieved. Nobody cried, nobody cared about the demise of Fir'aun. Their authority, their power did not help them. And Allah allowed the believers to inherit the earth. And of course, this surah and every surah in Al-Hawameem, as we've mentioned, focuses on the greatness of the Qur'an. This is the theme of uh, all the surahs. And Allah juxt you know, juxtaposes the play, the amusement, the heedlessness that Quraysh has against the great, powerful Qur'an, the honorable Qur'an that Allah has revealed. And in the surah, you know, verses 3 to 6, Allah says, إِنَّا Allah talks about the night the Qur'an was revealed. Indeed, we sent it down in a blessed night. إِنَّا kunna مُنْذِرِينَ We were indeed ever warning. We are always warning mankind. فِيهَا يُفْرَقُ كُلُّ أَمْرٍ حَكِيمٍ Through this book, uh, or on this night, every distinct matter is made clear. Everything on the date. So this is an honoring not only of the book, but of the night the book was revealed, meaning Laylatul Qadr. And this is the only other place in the Quran other than Surah Al-Qadr in which Laylatul Qadr is mentioned and um, and spoken about. Uh, this is a command from us. Indeed, we are ever sending. And it is a mercy from your Lord. He is the hearing and the knowing. So Allah blessed Ramadan because of the Quran and blessed Laylatul Qadr in particular because of the Quran. And He made Laylatul Qadr a special night in which matters are decided, our fate is decided. Our prosperity can be decided on that night. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did all of this out of honoring the Qur'an. Rahmatan min rabbik. This is a mercy from your Lord. Indeed, He is the hearing and the seeing. And so that is Surah Al-Dukhan. Then we'll move on inshaAllah to Surah Al-Jathiyah. Surah Al-Dukhan, sorry, Surah Al-Zukhruf, which we mentioned last week, talked a lot about materialism. You know, materialism causing people to go astray. They want gold, they want silver. And Allah mentions this in the themes and they reject the prophets because they don't have wealth and they don't have, you know, more money as much as other people. So they, this materialism is causing them to go astray. And Surah Al-Dukhan talks about, you know, power and authority causing people to go astray. And Surah Al-Jafiyyah is about arrogance and pride leading people astray. And so the Surah is called Al-Jafiyyah. What does Al-Jafiyyah mean? It means kneeling down or crouching down because there's a verse in the surah which talks about what humanity will endure on the day of judgment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you will see on that day on the day of judgment you will see every nation every nation will be kneeling out of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all of them will be fear will be crouching in fear every nation will be called to its own record to what they did 
And then they will be told, Today you will be repaid for what you used to do. On that day, we are all going to be kneeling. It's going to be a place of deep humility, submission before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, waiting for the judgment of Allah azza wa Not only a physical humility, a physical kneeling, but a moral humility, right? Because... We have to speak to our record. Allah says every ummah, every nation will speak to their records. What we did as individuals, what we did as an, as an ummah, as a community, as a nation. And you know, a person in this world could be physically humiliated. You know, they're physically humiliated, they're treated badly, they're put in prison, and yet they have the moral high ground. You know, they're physically humiliated, but they have the moral high ground. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions we're going to be kneeling and we're going to be answering for our sins. So it's going to be a physical and a moral kneeling and feeling small and humility before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also speaks about the fav His favors for mankind in the surah. What He did for us. In the, samawa, uh, in, the samawati in the heavens and the earth are signs for the believers. وفي خلقكم وما وما يبث من دابة and in his signs and what he disperses of moving creatures are signs for people who have certainty, yaqeen, certainty in their faith. He talks about the alternation of night and day. Uh, he revives the earth after it has gone dead. And he allows the wind to spread. Allah is the one who allowed the ships to sail along the sea by his command. He allowed us, basically Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I created all of this creation. Heavens and the earth, animals, night and day, travel by sea, you know, the wind, all these things, for what reason? For the usage of mankind, for the betterment of mankind, to help us, to be things that we can use, that we can enjoy, that we can learn and understand and benefit from. And despite all that Allah has done for us, there are those who disbelieve in the signs of Allah. And they reject them largely out of arrogance and out of stubbornness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ver in this chapter he speaks directly to those who are acting in arrogance and rejecting due to arrogance. Woe to every sinful liar, Allah says. He says, every sinful liar, the one who hears the verses of Allah recited to them. And then they persist arrogantly as if they never heard them. So give them glad tidings of a painful punishment. And if he hears anything of our verses, he takes it with, with ridicule. He laughs about it. These are the people who have a humiliating punishment. These are verses 7 till 9. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 31, Allah says, as for those who disbelieved, were not our verses recited to you, but you were arrogant and you became a people who were criminals. And this is verse 31. And so these verses mention arrogance, arrogance, and it's mentioned more than actually these verses. I, I don't have time to go through each and every one of them. Of course, our Prophet said, They will not enter paradise, the one who has even the weight of a seed in arrogance. The Prophet said to the companions, shall I not inform you of the inhabitants of the hellfire? Everyone who is cruel and proud and arrogant. And many, many uh, hadith of, 
of our Prophet ﷺ reminding us of how important it is not to be arrogant. That just a mustard seed, a seed of arrogance is enough for the person to never enter into paradise. And this is important for us to realize. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the story of Bani Israel, or he references Bani Israel. But he says, we certainly gave the children of, of Israel, Bani Israel, the scripture. And we gave them judgment or wisdom. And we gave them prophethood. And we provided them with good things. And we preferred them over all the worlds. And we gave them clear proofs of matters of religion. They did not disunite and differ except after the knowledge came to them. Why did they dis disunite and differ? Because of jealousy and animosity and envy that uh, happened between them. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ يَقْضِي بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فِي مَا كَانُوا فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ Your Lord will judge between them on the day of judgment. Now we mentioned this is an overarching theme of all the hawameem, talking about unity, and this is one of the messages here, and it's a warning for Muslims. Don't fall into the same problem. But the important issue here is why is Allah criticizing Bani Israel, the children of Israel, for disuniting? He is criticizing them because they disunited due to arrogance. Jealousy and envy. Where does jealousy and envy come from? It comes from arrogance. And so because of their arrogance, they had the proof, they had the religion, they had the evidences from God, they had the revelation, and yet they churned away and they fought each other out of petty reasons and out of arrogance primarily. And this is a, you know, a point for all of us who are Muslims, a warning for us not to fall into the same problems. He says, So Allah here is mentioning, you know, Allah is criticizing them for being arrogant. What are their arguments as they are being arrogant? They said, That they say, this is just the world. This is just the dunya. We'll die in it. We live in it. And nothing destroys us other than time. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala criticizes them. He says, They don't have any knowledge. They are only assuming. And subhanAllah, you have these people who say we're atheists and we are the rational people and we are the ones who think rationally and you religious people can't think and you don't have you know, the, the rational abilities that we have, etc, etc. They branded themselves as being rational. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, They have no knowledge of this. And this really brings into question, you know, um, concepts of where do we get knowledge from and what is truth and how do we know something right how what is the nature of knowledge to begin with because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala criticizes them on this basis they have no evidence whatsoever at least we have an intellectual we have a far greater intellectual argument when we say we base our faith on revelation that the only way we can know is based on revelation that is far more certain than what they are saying which is assumptions we live we die nothing happens we die because of time right allah subhanahu wa ta'ala criticizes the fact that they do they actually don't have a rational argument that they make themselves and allah says later on in the surah if they is if it is said to them the promise of allah is true and the hour is coming with no doubt uh, they will say, we don't know what the hour is. We only assume our assumptions and we are not mustaqinin. We are not those who have yaqeen. Literally, we are not those who have conviction. We, we are not those who have certainty. And this is the reality. You know, the only ones who have certainty are the ones who have the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everyone else is assuming. 
and particularly those who reject Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the existence of God to begin with, they are only uh, assuming assumptions based on assumptions as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. We only assume only assumptions, i.e. we are just people of assumptions and we do not have truth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that when the verses are recited to them as clear proofs, their argument is only bring back our ancestors, bring back our forefathers. I.e., they were so arrogant to the Prophet ﷺ when even when they knew what he was saying was true, they would they would tell him things like make a miracle, produce a miracle, bring back our forefathers, right? And so this was their arrogance towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah and the Prophet ﷺ tells us pride, you know, kibriya is the cloak of Allah. Al-Azlama, greatness is the robe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَمَنْ نَزَعْنِي وَاحِدًا مِّنْهُمَا قَذَفْتَهُ فِي النَّارِ Whoever competes with God in arrogance and pride and lifting them up, because only Allah is worthy of having pride and arrogance. Because he's, you know, not arrogance, but pride. He's the only one who has uh, the right to have pride and greatness. Why? Because he's the one worthy of it. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one in whom the creation is in his hands, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's the one who has the right to be prideful. And whoever competes with Allah in respect to pride and greatness, the Prophet says that Allah will throw him into the hellfire. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends this surah, to him belongs all the grandeur, all the pride, all the greatness. Within the heavens and the earth. And he is the exalted in might and wise. And this is, you know, the themes within Surah Al-Jathiya and Surah Dukhan. Inshallah, uh, I'll turn over to our brother, uh, Sheikh Arij, uh, inshallah, to continue. Jazakallah. Barakallah. I actually just wanted to make a comment on what you were saying, if you don't mind. Uh, which is the idea of, uh, you know, Kibriya. Uh, subhanAllah, as you were saying it, I was thinking about it. Uh, that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, like, uh, he, and how the Prophet said that whoever has, uh, you know, uh, it's it's the cloak of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and whoever has, has it, um, even a, 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 a small amount of it, a, a smallest conceivable amount of it, uh, that person will not be ent- able to enter paradise. The Prophet, I just thought some defined kibr uh, uh, is uh, as it is to reject the truth and to look down upon the people and uh, if you think if you think of this definition uh, like that means that uh, as human beings we actually uh, besides the prophets of allah who we know are you know like certified to be at the level that they are because they receive revelation and the sahaba who allah's messenger has uh, you know told us about their ranks everybody else like the reality of our salvation is unknown it will only be known on the day of judgment. So you cannot actually think yourself to be better than another person because uh, you have no idea what your end is going to be. I have no idea what my end is going to be. Thus, kibr for human beings is completely, uh, like it, it goes completely against the fabric of what, uh, you know, ibadah is. Whereas to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we worship him alone because he is uh, Allahu ahad, right? As-samad. The one and only one, the one who everybody depends on, the one who is the necessary one that we all need. So he has the uh, the right, it is his haq to claim kibriya, right? Whereas we don't, because we are all dependent on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in our dependence, we are all equal. Right? What, do you, what, do you, what do you think of that, Shaykh Ibrahim? Like, uh, just as yeah, a 
<clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, that, that's exactly the point, right? Yeah. And um, too many people have led themselves astray through kibir, through arrogance, and we're in need of constantly reminding ourselves of how small we are and how mm. much we're in need of and that's why you know this this surah talks about all the things Allah gave us. You know, He gave us ability to travel the sea. Great, gave us wind. You know, how mm. would plants even grow without the wind blowing the seeds to where they need to go? All these things Allah gave us to remind us we're in need of Him. So why are we feeling you know this type of arrogance? May Allah to save us from it. Amin ya Rabb. Amin. Zakallahu khayyan. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Surah Al-Ahqaf here at the last uh, at the last part of uh, the Hawamim, the last of the Hawamim. Uh, begins in the 26th juz, in the very beginning of the 26th juz, uh, and uh, continues on uh, after in, uh, continues on uh, into the 26th juz. Uh, the uh, surah begins by with Allah Subhanahu saying, and I'll recite those a few ayat inshallah. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-jim. Hamim tanzilul kitabi min Allahi al-aziz al-hakim. ما خلقنا السماوات والأرض وما بينهما إلا بالحق وأجل مسمى والذين كفروا عما أنذروا معرضون حاميم uh, The book is sent down from God the Almighty the wise العزيز الحكيم Ma samawati wal We created the heavens and the earth and all the lies between them purely in truth. Illa bil It is in truth, hundred percent. Allah created it. It is in truth in the sense that it has a purpose, and it is for a limited time. It is not eternal. musamma for a specific term. It has a beginning and it has an end, and everything in Allah's Creation that Allah points out to us in the Quran repeatedly, creation and resurrection that has a beginning and has an end and will be brought back to life. So don't think the life of this world is only about this life. Uh, you know, like Shaykh Ibrahim was mentioning in the surah before, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly references resurrection with creation. So we don't forget that. Resurrection is actually the purpose of the creation, or is what leads to uh, that's what the creation leads to. But for those who have rejected the faith, uh, they uh, you know they reject and they turn away from what they have been warned. It highlights the attitude of the rejection, okay? It is the attitude of. Uh, the person who turns oh, his face away on something is like right now I'm facing you. If I was to turn my back at you, like all the way, that would be I have turned away from you and I have become mu'rid. Okay, that is how Allah describes the ones who have rejected uh, uh, belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's as if they have turned their backs on the ideas that the faith is uh, preaching. Now, that is the attitude of this person what are the reasons the quran provides many of them like a desire for the material life uh, and being happy being content with the life of the world like the desire to follow um uh follow the culture of the forefathers we found our forefathers you know worshiping god this way and that is what we would like to do this was mentioned in surah zukhruf 
all of these uh, uh, reasonings and more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly highlights so he's doing both in the Quran the attitude of the one who rejects and the reasons why they reject so we don't fall into either we know the reasons so we don't uh, justify that to to ourselves and the attitude so we can stay away from that now in the very beginning of the surah Allah makes a very beautiful uh, statement here he says to the prophet sallam say the following things qul ayah number 4 araitum min dunillah have you thought about those you call besides Allah here the primary audience is quraish who would worship idols Idols that they thought were their means to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So they would make dua to the idol, uh, hoping that the idol would take the dua to Allah. Not directly to Allah, but they would say that we will go through these idols because we are not you know, that righteous, we're not so good. And these idols, illa we're going through them because they got like a shortcut to God that we don't. Okay? So now this is. Uh, completely contrary to the monotheism, the tawheed that Allah wants us to practice. So he wants to uh, break down this idea. He says, Show me what they have created on the earth. Show me what they have created on the earth to warrant the place where they are supplicated to. Or do they have a share in the, in the sky, in the heavens? Do they have a share in the cosmos? No, they don't. These are rhetorical questions. What Allah is saying is, how can you put a object in the place of God who cannot do, absolutely has no way of doing what God does? How could you do that? So that's a logical evidence that Allah uh, provides. Then he provides a textual evidence evidence bring me a book revealed before this or some other uh, vestige of knowledge if you are telling the truth so either this is speaking a little bit about epistemology like what Sheikh Ibrahim was referencing before about how do we know what are the sources of revelation or sourcing excuse me sources of knowing the truth here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents a beautiful uh, example of how he first says Logically, what you're doing makes no sense, and then textually, you what you're doing makes no sense. Ibn Kathir says, "La You have no evidence of either type. These are two ways that we know the truth: logically through logical deduction, uh, scripturally through revelation that we know is from God, and uh, you know through observation uh, as well. That's another uh, way the Quran encourages us to look for the truth. Uh, and look for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is an introduction that's very powerful because it goes to the core of the matter. It addresses Quraysh's attitude and then addresses Quraysh's religious preferences right away and uh, breaks them down as if to say, now you have no excuse to stick to that. Okay, uh, Quraysh though will make up excuses. What, will, what excuses will they make? They will say, as Ayah Number uh, seven mentions when the revelation is recited to them, it's clear they say this is plain magic. These are nice words, you know, but you know, we're not, it doesn't change our minds, it doesn't change who we are. Sihrum Mubin, also an aspect of this, like the scholars mentioned, is a Sahir's job was to divide families or divide, you know, friends. 
So they would say, look what this message is doing. It's dividing us. It's, you know, uh, it's now my cousin is no longer, uh, not my cousin thinks I'm this and my uh, other cousin thinks I'm that and my uh, uncle is this and I am that. This message is dividing us. It's like sihr. That's what they would say. So they would try, this is a classic smokescreen, a classic misdirection. You can't address the message. So let's misdirect the, the frustration at the uh, at the outcome that you see and let's misdirect it at something else so you can continue remaining how you are. Allah SWT is not going to have any of that. He goes immediately and responds to this claim. He says, قُلْ مَا كُنْتُ بِدْعًا مِنَ الرُّسُلِ Okay, uh, like number one, he says, uh, this message... Are you saying the Prophet is fabricating? Okay. Uh, the Prophet says, uh, you know, He's, the Prophet is told to say, excuse me, I am not the first of God's messengers and I do not know what will be done with me or with you. The Prophet Sallallahu explains, I am uh, giving you the message as I have received it in revelation from Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I'm not the first one to do so. I am not like the first one who's brought this. Uh, messengers before had brought the same message the idea of receiving revelation and that being a source of truth is an established idea i am not the one who invented this also i don't know the future i don't expect me to uh, know that either because that is not my role in i only follow what has been revealed to me, and I am only I'm only a clear warner. The Prophet is told to respond to that claim. The claim is misdirection. Oh, look at what this message is doing. The response brings it right back to the message. This is the message. This is who I am. This is what the, the, the is the topic at hand. Don't uh don't get distracted and don't distract others. It's a very beautiful, very powerful, sophisticated style of uh, of uh, reasoning that we find in the Quran, not just in the surah, but throughout the surahs. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because this is, again, a audience that is unwilling. They don't want to listen. They are not uh, like the audience in Medina who are willing listeners, who will hang on to every single word that comes out of the Prophet's mouth, who would who want to know more, who want to practice, who want to devote themselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the opposite situation. So you see how uh, forceful and powerful and how direct the reasoning and and um, and, and uh, the discourse is in this Makkan surah. It tells us that when we are speaking and we are uh, talking about Islam, calling to Islam, defending Islam, there will be misdirections. People will uh, try to say, Oh, what about slavery? Okay, just throw something completely, uh, you know, out of left field, and then the conversation goes in a hundred different directions. What the Quran is teaching us is how do you keep the conversation at on the track? Okay, and that is how you deal with a un unwilling uh, or a slightly hostile audience. Subhanallah. Now, this is a beautiful uh, message. Also, the Quran mentions. Um, in this uh, in, the, in this surah uh, two very interesting there's two very interesting passages after this okay passage number one is dealing with uh, family okay 
because da'wah and defending Islam is not just only done, you know, in like a public setting or to uh, strangers. It is quite often, quite frequently, a matter of inside the house. Uh, so example number, or, or there's two uh, two th- uh, things that are remaining in the surah. One is the, let's call da'wah in the family. And number two, uh, da'wah through the example of a'ad, okay? And Prophet Hud and things that are related to that. Okay, let's talk about the da'wah in the family first. Da'wah in the family is very interesting here. Allah gives an example in ayah number 15 of a person. The example of da'wah in the family gone right. Okay, what is the example? Here is a person who has uh, who was raised by his parents, and now when he is at a point in his life when Allah says, sana. He is now full in, in the age of full maturity, 40 years old. He turns around and he's making dua to Allah for his parents. O Allah, my Lord, help me to be grateful for the favors which you have bestowed upon me and upon my parents. And allow me to do good deeds that will please you. He makes dua for his parents and himself, and then he makes dua for his kids. Grant me righteousness in my offspring. Okay, he's worried about his kids. Okay, and that uh, he is making dua for. Allah says about these people, We accept from such people the best of what they do and overlook their bad deeds. They will be the people of paradise, a true promise. A true promise that they have been promised that will come true 100%. So this is da'wah in the family, the case where da'wah in the family has gone right. Parents raise their kids well. And now this child has grown up to be a man. Allah doesn't mention how he got there in the sense of like the mistakes he made. But now he's looking back at his life. And now he's being really thankful to Allah for his parents, his upbringing, his family. Now making dua that oh Allah give me the, the ability to thank you for these favors that you have blessed me with. Oh Allah now help me with my kids. So it's a very beautiful example of how da'wah goes right. By the way, in this ayah, there's a subtlety. I'll point this out to you, ayah number 15. You can read the translation yourself. Allah's mother begins the ayah by mentioning the parents. We've enjoyed kindness uh, to, to human beings with regards to their parents. Parents, right? Plural. Father and mother, right? Walidai is both the parents. But then when Allah talks about parents and their uh, difficulties, who does he mention? His mother bore him in pain and in pain she gave birth to him and his bearing and weaning, like the, the pregnancy and the, the weaning and the nursing afterwards takes 30 months. Hmm? Subhanallah. Uh, so he begins by talking about both parents, but then when he talks about sacrifices, Allah only speaks about the sacrifices of the mother, as if to say the mother's sacrifices are so great that you know 
the the father's sacrifice pales in comparison. That doesn't mean the father doesn't have like a a, a rank, a maqam, or nothing. No, no. But just a subtlety here that when Allah is highlighting the struggles of parents in the Quran, you will notice he begins by mentioning both, but then he focuses and describes what the moms go through because they go through such incredible difficulties. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant the best to our mothers. May Allah have mercy on them like they had mercy upon us, to, uh, to, upon, upon our mothers, and of course also, also upon our fathers. Ameen, ameen. So this is that family da'wah that's gone well. Then the other side of the coin, da'wah in the family that doesn't go well. Ayah number 17. The one who says to his parents, shame upon you. Do you threaten me with being taken out of the grave? After death, while many a generation has passed before me and none has risen from among them, and they are crying for God's help. Believe, alas, for you, God's promise is true. But this boy or this man says, uh, These are nothing but ancient fables. This is da'wah gone wrong. This is an example where. A child grows up in a Muslim household and then leaves Islam. Leaves Islam. And the reason why he leaves Islam, you know, is this one of those reasons is mentioned here. Okay. That he doesn't understand the concept of resurrection because they have falsified a tenant of the core tenant of the faith. Thus, they have said they have falsified the whole faith itself. Now, uh, this is a, a very stark conversation. A family that is in a crisis situation, the parents are unable to explain logically to this man, to their child, unable to convince their child logically. Unfortunately, they're not able to do that. And this child, this uh, their, 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 their child now drifts away out of Islam. It's a very difficult scene. We ask Allah to protect our kids, our offspring, uh, and all of our all the believers around the world, Amin Rabbil Alameen. But this is a reality where people will get influenced by the uh, negativity, by the uh, uh, the, the uh, counter or the anti-theistic um, narrative that is very, very popular, very common. It has attained a celebrity level that is shocking, in fact. And Easily, these people are able to exert influence over youth and young people. The vehicle for their uh, their their uh, ability to exert their influence is often academics, the sciences. Uh, so this is a, a real uh, situation. Now, as uh, as Muslims, we have to be uh, prepared for this. Our religion provides us with the best of answers for all sorts of. Uh, all sorts of problems and all sorts of dialogues and discourses. Okay, now the answers have to be found in the Quran and the Sunnah using the uh, methods that Allah and His Messenger have taught us. Uh, this is an example where the parents are unable to do so. They're just unable. Subhanallah. And because of their inability, uh, the child who's leaving Islam looks like he is rational and the parents who are staying Muslim look like they're irrational. That is not the way it's supposed to be. We have to, like I mentioned, in the very beginning of Ahqaf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides 
logical reasons why shirk is wrong, i.e. we have to be smart and well-educated in reasonings and proofs that are logical to counter such narratives and uh, because our religion does not teach us to become irrational. It teaches us to be rational while also being supremely devoted spiritually to our Lord. Though the marriage of these two is what our religion is. Okay. And uh, that's what uh, uh, we're taught to be like. So here we see this unfortunate example, da'wah in the family gone wrong. We saw the example of da'wah in the family gone right, da'wah in the family gone wrong. Next up in the surah is the name of the surah comes from the word ahqaf, which is Tell of the brother of Ad when he warned his people in the sand dunes. The, the brother of Ad is Prophet Hud. This is now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inviting the people of Quraysh through their ancient ancestors, the ancient Arab ancestors. The, the, the story of, uh, of uh, Prophet Hud is mentioned in many places in the Quran, but here it's mentioned uh, as well. Uh, and the mention of uh, Hud inviting the people to worship Allah alone and then them rejecting by saying that you are not a true prophet and bring us the punishment. And then finally, when the punishment came, when they saw a heavy cloud approaching, they were like, yes, this is the cloud that's going to bring us rain. But that is the punishment that the cloud was bringing the punishment and the punishment was in the form of a severe wind that had a, a painful punishment to everything it got destroyed everything the only thing that was left standing was their empty dwellings and they left that those empty dwellings to show the people that uh, this is where these people lived this is what they did these were the consequences of their choices. So beware. Uh, and Allah concludes this part by saying, okay. We gave them power like we haven't given you power, O people of Quraysh. You are not as strong and as powerful as Ad. And look at how devastated they were. So be warned, you are not safe from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is why Allah brings the story that of the Prophet that's brought in the surah links beautifully to the theme of the surah. And this is one of the reasons why, uh, this is one of the reasons we find here. One other thing to notice about uh, Ad, uh, uh, Prophet Hud, excuse me, is Allah mentions who he is, uh, he's Hud, uh, who he was sent to Ad, and the place he was sent to, Ahqaf. Uh, this is an observation, this is not like from tafsir, but the observation is that Allah provides extra details about uh, Prophet Hud that he doesn't provide about, say, Prophet Lut. Okay? Allah does not mention in the Quran where Prophet Lut lived because where he lived was well known from the Bible. Okay, But Hud is not mentioned in the Bible. And uh, as he is unknown to the Jews and Christians, even though he's known to the Arabs, Allah subhanahu wa is providing extra details about who this prophet is, so that when the da'wah reaches the others outside of Makkah and outside of Quraysh, they are confused about who is Hud and who is Salih. For example, the extra details are provided so they understand who is being spoken of. And this is a beautiful Quranic way that the details that Allah provides are in accordance to the situation. Allah subhanahu wa that knows who is not mentioned in that much detail or not at all. For example, in the Bible, so more details are provided there 
uh, versus someone who is well known in the Bible like Lut and others. Okay, so that is uh, that is that the surah concludes with a beautiful passage, one of my personal favorite passages of the Quran, which is the passage of the jinn. Remember how we sent to you a band of a jinn who wished to hear the Quran, and as they listened to it, they said, Ansitu. Be silent and listen. And when it was finished, they backed, they went back to the people uh, to give the warnings. So this is, um, the story of this is, uh, the Prophet ﷺ, there are two actually, there's two uh, instances that are mentioned in the books of Tafsir. The one that uh, I'm going to mention here, to share with you and for the sake of brevity, is the instance mentioned by Ibn Kathir and Baghawi, uh, uh, that is, uh, the jinn, the Prophet, uh, who the jinn who heard the Prophet recite the Quran after what happened to him in Ta'if, after the death of Abu Talib, the Prophet went to Ta'if, invited them to Islam. Thaqif, the people of Ta'if, rejected him and uh, you know abused him physically, uh, hurt him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, as he was retreating uh, and seeking shelter uh, from their onslaught, he. Uh, found a place to shelter. As he sheltered and uh, recovered, he وسلم, got up to pray. And when he prayed and recited Quran, a group of passing jinn stopped and heard him recite the Quran. And that instance is mentioned here in at the end of Ahqaf and in Surah Jinn, uh, Surah number 72. This shows us, brothers and sisters, that the da'wah of the marginalized is... You do da'wah, you may not get the result you expected. In fact, it may come uh, in a, come back in a really negative way. The result may actually be something that is extremely detrimental. The Prophet ﷺ took on a heavy punishment from the people of Thaqif. Uh, and this was what he called later on in his life, the worst day of his life, the hardest day of his life. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Muhammad. Yet, look at that. With difficulty there is ease, Allah provided unwilling or uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided unexpected helpers to the da'wah. Unexpected helpers to his cause. The people who rejected him, that was difficulty. With that difficulty, Allah brought ease in the form of these jinn who the Prophet did not even know were listening who the Prophet did not even know had accepted Islam, who the Prophet did not even know went and started giving da'wah on his behalf. All of this happened without the Prophet not even realizing it. And that was the ease after the difficulty that the Prophet faced. The lesson for us, brothers and sisters, here is when we are giving da'wah, when we are defending Islam, don't ever think your words are, uh, are, are meaningless that they are uh, that they had no effect. Don't ever think that because you don't know who is in the audience. You don't know whose heart you touched. You don't know whose doubt you addressed. You don't know whose Islam you helped save. You just don't know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. And this is the way we should approach our work, which is we do our best, and the results are in the hands of Allah. Allah will bring unexpected helpers, unexpected supporters, and that is his sunnah. 
he did that with his Prophet and we hope that he does that with us as well. The surah concludes with the Prophet say, Allah telling the Prophet, Fasbir, be patient. And this is the theme of the Hawameen. Be patient. Uh, just like the prophets before. Just as the five mighty prophets were steadfast, you also remain steadfast. Don't make dua against them. Don't uh, be hasty um, to see the end here. The, re- the responsibility of da'wah is severe, but uh, the patience that's required for it is uh, is great. And uh, that is what Allah Subhanahu concludes this surah and the hawameen with. And it's a beautiful message for all of us. Jazakumullah khairan for being with us in this uh, series, Quranic Reflections, Themes from the Quran, uh, in the study of the hawameen. We learn from these how to gain strength to hold on to our faith, to have conviction in our faith, how to convey the message to those around us, our family, our community, and how to defend our faith from those who are perhaps unwilling uh, listeners, uh, perhaps hostile, how we approach that matter. And in all of this, we are remain patient and we make dua for the well-being of people all the people around us. Jazakumullah khairan wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. Dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in tomorrow for the next episode on Quranic Healing and subscribe to this series. If you liked this episode, you'll love our other content. Visit yakininstitute.org or download our app from the App Store. Until next time, this has been Keeping Connection.